Good morning. So, I needed you to get to preach this morning. Some of you will know, until uh, recently, um, sorry, recently I finished a series on Ecclesiastes with the Baptist book. Um, had that originally, Mark had said, do you want to do a Baptist book session? And I said, yes, that's fine. Um, and I thought, you know, if this is going to keep happening, then maybe I should set myself a series rather than having to do these one-offs. So I thought, I'll go for a book. I know, I'll pick Ecclesiastes, I'm sure that can't be too hard. And um, I said to Mark, oh, I've decided to start a series. He said, great, you can have three weeks then. Oh, okay, that wasn't, that wasn't part of my original thought on it, but that's fine, I'll do that. And then it became clear that actually it was going to take longer than three weeks because it was quite a long book and it was quite difficult. Um, and it turned into this five-week epic. Um, and so Mark, bless him, came and told me, well, it's all right, I don't have you booked in for anything else for the rest of the year because I don't want to overwork you. But little did he know that while he was on holiday, Jules and I had sorted this date out, and once I had it, I wasn't going to give it back. <laughs> um, so I fought to be here in front of you today. Um, and after a couple of months of study on Ecclesiastes, this has felt like a walk in the park to prepare. <laughs> it's never really easy. Because um, in many ways, I'm taking a bit of a different approach today. That, that was very, um, very much teaching. It was very intense. It was quite heavy. Probably today is perhaps as close as I've got to preaching um, as I've been before. I don't know. Uh, I'm not actually sure where the line is between the two, and I don't actually think I care that much either, but <laughs> uh, the starting point of what I want to say today, or what I feel God wants me to say to us, uh, has come out of one of my own experiences recently, and what God's been saying to me through that, um, rather than starting from a specific passage, um, but that being said, I have of course anchored it in the Word. I do have a passage that I'm going to base it out of, um, but I'm going to get to that in due course. To start with, I want to be a bit honest with you, and I want to be a bit vulnerable. I think this is why I felt more nervous about this morning than I have about some of the other um, uh, preachers I've done. Um, I'll tell you a bit about how I've been feeling recently. And by recently, I'm not really even sure how, this, how long this has gone on. Um, as with a lot of these sorts of things, at first, I couldn't really work out what I was feeling. I was perhaps just a bit unsettled or a bit dissatisfied or unfulfilled. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Um, I knew it wasn't a completely new feeling. I've been here before. Um, and so to start with, I thought, well, it must be hormones. It must be a bad bachelor's month or something. Because, you know, women all know that if we're not quite feeling ourselves, that's the easiest and probably most logical thing to blame. So I thought, oh, well, it's probably that. Let's keep going, let's soldier on. Um, and then I had a couple of things happen, a couple of encounters that acted like a sort of catalyst, and they allowed God to shine his light onto things. So some of you will know that just over five years ago, I gave up working to look after two little girls that came along at the same time. Um, couldn't afford to go back to work because two lots of childcare is far more than I was earning. Um, but now they're in school, I finally started back last April. I'm a music teacher, teach the drums. 
one day a week, one and a half days after half term, um, I go into the, the local primary school, which is the school that they're at, um, and teach lessons in that. And it's been brilliant to get back to teaching, honestly. Um, I can say really confidently that teaching is something I was born to do. And teaching kids again has given me back part of myself that I had to put aside when I became a mum. It's brilliant. Um, and it's not always been that easy, because the thing about parenthood, as people will probably know, in particular if you're running a home and staying at home with children, is that actually it's, it's one of the most invisible jobs, I think. It's really easy to feel like all the things you're doing are not very noticeable, but at the same time, there's always this long list of things you feel like you're not managing, certainly for me. Um, you know, I might have made sure that we've got clean clothes, and I might have made sure that we've all had hot dinners this week, but look at the state of the house. Look at the toys that are everywhere. And that floor, that really needs hoovering, and I should probably deep clean the kitchen. And oh look, the dishwasher needs emptying again. You know, it's, it's never ending. And for me, it's not very fulfilling. <laughs> so getting back to teaching, um, and back to something I enjoy, something I feel that I'm good at, has been this breath of fresh air. But even then, it hasn't been completely straightforward. It hasn't been completely easy. The actual teaching is fine. You know, I love that. The kids are really good fun. Um, I enjoy myself. They make me laugh probably every single week. Like, one boy a few weeks back told me he'd seen one of my girls on the playground. And he'd gone up and said, hi. And they looked really stunned that he knew their names. Okay, I'm not sure I told you their names, but all right. He said, yeah. I went up and said, hi, Anna. <laughs> and she just looked at me like, how do you know? And I said, well, that's because that's not her name. <laughs> but they're called Anna, aren't they? Was, no, they're called Charlotte and Sophie. My dad said they were called Anna 1 and Anna 2. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, your dad's really had you for one here, isn't he? <laughs> He's completely believed it. Um, so, you know, every week I'm having these fun conversations. Kids are making me laugh. I'm really enjoying myself. Um, and I'm, so I'm enjoying the lessons. But in terms of running a business, I'm starting from the beginning again. Right? When I went on maternity leave, I built up this business. I was working full-time. I had a good reputation. Um, I'd built some really good relationships in schools. Um, I felt like I was a small but valuable part of something, part of what happened in that community. Um, now, not only have I had to start from the beginning again, um, where I don't know anyone, but I'm no longer just a smiley drum teacher, I'm also a parent of the school. And that is completely new for me. Um, it takes time, you know, for people to learn to trust you anyway, um, to learn that you're professional, you're there to do a job. You're not looking to blab about anything that you hear in the staff room, you know, I'm not a spy. Um, I'm willing to put in the time, the hard work to try and um, build that trust. But it's been quite challenging for me to feel like I'm being viewed a bit differently. That just because I'm a parent, I'm now viewed with that extra level of suspicion wherever I go. Um, and, you know, that's something I've not had to deal with in any of the previous schools I've been in. So last academic year, not long after I'd started, I thought, right, I need to be really proactive here, I need to be brave. Um, 
and I decided to eat my lunch in the staff room. That's shocking, isn't it? <laughs> um, but I thought, if I'm ever going to build some relationships, be part of the school community, I need to put some work in. Um, and I was prepared that probably no one would speak to me. That's pretty normal in my experience, you know, as a visiting music teacher. People don't know who you are, so they don't really chat. They're busy going about their day um, and so on. But I've got a strategy for that. I find the supply teachers because they also don't know anyone. And so I, it worked, you know, for a couple of weeks, I met this nice supply teacher who was always in on the same day as me. Um, and we had lovely chats about her time touring South America. And, uh, and I convinced the piano teacher to be brave and come and sit in the staff room with me as well. So it was going really well. And then on week three, I got pulled aside um, and I was told, that some of the staff are still quite nervous about COVID and, uh, and that maybe to keep the staff room a little bit less busy, could I perhaps not eat my lunch in there? Um, I also got given a talk about confidentiality as a parent working within school, which I'm sure they felt obliged to do to cover themselves. And I did my best to handle that with grace and decorum and, you know, as you do, but inwardly I was really quite cut up about it. You know, I felt, it felt pretty humiliating actually to be turned out. Um, and I found myself really missing what I had years ago. You know, I used to be trusted. I was felt like part of the team. Um, and as much as I loved the teaching, in that moment, it felt like a really lonely job. I felt like I was in it all on my own. So for the rest of the year, I hid in my teaching room at lunchtime. Sometimes the piano teacher came in with me because I warned her about the conversation I'd had. I didn't want her to put in the same position, and I was, I was grateful for her company. Um, now, when school started back this September, there was a new head teacher. But we were a week into term, and I hadn't gone back yet, and I hadn't met her either, and I was starting to get a little bit nervous about that, and thinking, I've got to make a good impression. You know, this is important. And um, so I worked out who she was, and then one day I saw her on the gate at the beginning of the day after I dropped the girls off, and I thought, right, I took a deep breath because I'm an introvert and it does cost me to have to walk up to a stranger and introduce myself. I thought, right, we can do this. Hi, I think you must be the new head. It went really well. Um, she made a really good impression on me, actually. You know, me trying to make a good impression, but she was really friendly. Um, and I was like, yeah, this, you know, this is good. Um, so I did my first day back teaching the day after that. Um, sorry, not the day after, the week after that. And then the day after I'd gone back, this really strange thing happened. Um, I was on the playground the next day for the pickup, waiting for the girls, and this head teacher came over to find me to ask me how had my first day back been. Well, you know, that shouldn't be so strange, should it? It really shouldn't. But in the entire of the previous term that I'd worked there, so right since the beginning of when I started, the old head teacher didn't speak to me once. Not once. She didn't introduce herself, she's never said hello, I'm an introvert, I didn't fancy doing it either. She didn't show the tiniest bit of interest in my presence in school, and to me that was just normal, that, you know, that was just the way it was. Um, you know, I'm not under any illusions that I'm someone key within the school, I'm ancillary. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was really strange, but it was really nice. So I had this new sense of optimism. Um, or, you know, the new leadership, this, this could be quite good. And I got confident enough that I actually dared to go back in the staff room and eat my lunch. 
and I haven't been kicked out yet. <laughs> now, there's a, thanks to a couple of different things that have happened, I've had cause to chat to this new head teacher a few times um, since those first introductions, and for reasons that I cannot work out, she seems to like me. I haven't changed anything about myself, I haven't changed anything about the way I behave in school, you know, I've always tried to be happy and cheerful and pleased to see people and stuff, but she's now opening opportunities for me to take on extra stuff within the school, volunteering roles, she's, uh, I might be going to run a gardening club, she's trying to find some funding so I can teach some of the less um, advantaged students um, alongside the regular ones that I'm doing. And I'm, thinking, wow, this, this must be what it looks like, what it feels like when God grants you favour with someone. And I'm really grateful to God for that. You might be wondering where I'm going with this. That's fine. Don't blame you. Um. <laughs> and there was something in these interactions that got me thinking. Um, in a way, although they were really positive, they actually really bothered me. Because they opened my eyes to something that I'd been wanting, something I'd been needing, something I felt I was missing that I couldn't put my finger on until then. Somehow this new head teacher had managed to make me feel like she saw me. She wasn't just being nice to me, she seemed to actually see something of value in me. And actually she's pretty much told me that. And after such a long time of having this unresolved feeling gnawing at me, I no longer felt invisible. And it sent me into this whole lot of deep thought, and I was really wrestling with these emotions that I realised were inside me. Although Dee's not here this morning, she would um, confirm this, because I spent a good part of an afternoon texting her about it, and trying to work out what was going on, why I'm feeling like this, and, and so on. Um, I'd realised that I had this need within me to feel seen. And I don't mean look at me but rather that feeling of just being recognized and being valued for who you are and i sat trying to work out whether maybe subconsciously i'd actually been striving to be seen for a while maybe i've been working so hard on various different things because i wanted to feel valuable i don't know these are the sort of things that are going through my head and and what was really bothering me about it was that it felt like a really fleshly thing you know, it felt quite self-absorbed, maybe even narcissistic. <laughs> Shouldn't I be trying to be above the desires of the flesh? Or maybe even, like, crucifying them? So why did it bother me so much to want to feel seen? I did know, right when I realised that, that was what I was feeling, that I needed to take that to God. Um, whether it was a, this was a desire that it was okay for me to feel, or it was something that needed to be dealt with and surrendered before the cross. I knew I needed to look to God for that. Because it can be really easy when someone's given us a bit of validation to get hungry for more and then keep looking to people to try and meet those needs in us. But I think that, that quickly can become really unhealthy. It can damage those relationships. And so instead, I was trying to make a really deliberate effort to say, thank you, God, for what this person has brought, but please show me how to find this first and foremost through you. So that is what I'm here to talk about today. The need to feel seen, or more specifically, what God showed me about it. So first I want to say, I, 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 is there anyone that can identify 
with that feeling because I'm willing to bet that each of us has had times where we've worked really hard on something and we felt quite visible. Or perhaps we've tried really hard to do the right things behind closed doors to act with integrity um, and we might really feel like we've achieved something but no one can ever know about it and that can be really quite challenging in a way maybe we just want someone to see into us and spot the potential inside us and they're, they're quite difficult feelings aren't they um, but what, what does God say about this desire to feel seen I want to show you what he's been showing me, so hopefully it can minister to you um, like it has done with me. So if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to John 1, 43. I think this is the first time I've preached directly from the Gospel, um, rather than like the Old Testament or something. We're going to look at what happened when Nathaniel met Jesus. The following day, Jesus went to, wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you'll see greater things than these? I'm going to stop there. I'm going to do the bit after it because there's some interesting, distracting stuff. Um, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I don't know about you, but this story leaves me wanting to know what happened under the fig tree. It's really easy to read this without giving much thought to it, to just assume that at some point Nathaniel had been under a fig tree and Jesus saw him there. But I don't think that's quite what happened. I think for this exchange to have had such a profound impact on Nathaniel, I think there has to be more significance to his being under the fig tree. I'm guessing... He might have been alone under it. I don't think he was under there with a crowd, but he, he may have been alone. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that Jesus didn't actually see him in the flesh. I think that whatever happened there was a private and personal matter, possibly between him and God, or maybe between him and another person. But I think it was something significant to Nathaniel. But we don't really know, do we? And, and actually, in some ways, that's kind of the point. It illustrates that we all have these moments in our lives that no one else knows about. Now, who has seen The Chosen? Anyone watch The Chosen? Yeah. Um, I haven't actually finished it all yet because it's one of the things where I feel like if I'm going to watch it, I need to actually sit and watch. It's, I can't do it while I'm cooking or something. I need to actually watch it. So I haven't got to the very end yet. But if you've seen it, you'll know that they enact this story in series two. Um, 
Now, if you haven't ever seen The Chosen, it's this drama series based on the life of the disciples. They take what we know from the Bible, and they use some artistic license to try and imagine what that might have looked like, plus some bits in between, and try and create backstories and stuff. Um, it's a Christian project, and it's really well done because they managed to capture something of what it might actually have been like to walk with Jesus on this earth. What would that have felt like? And they, they honestly, it's reduced me to tears more than once. Um, and the way they cover this particular story is they imagine that Nathaniel was an architect and he wanted to build this grand project for God. But it goes really badly wrong and he loses his job. And he has this moment under the fig tree on his own where he pours his heart out in front of God and it looks as though he's met with silence in return. So then when Jesus comes along and tells him that he saw him during that moment, it speaks really deeply into his heart and he knows that he must be the son of God. Now that's, that's obviously like an artistic interpretation of what might have been Nathaniel's backstory because we actually don't know. There's not a lot written about him. Um, but what we do know is that Jesus was able to see things in Nathaniel that other people didn't recognise. He starts by saying, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. If you look in the New Living Translation, it translates that as, Here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Can you imagine how it would feel to have Jesus say that to you? If after trying your best to live right, he greets you with, now here is someone of real integrity. That would be quite something, wouldn't it? Uh, you know, that would be amazing. Um, but we can work out that it must have been true of Nathaniel. He must have been someone of integrity because Jesus said it, so therefore it must be true. Okay? And I, I find myself wondering if there was something specific that had happened to Nathaniel where he had had to choose to take the path of integrity, perhaps, that meant that this particularly spoke to him. Maybe he'd had something happen where he had to make this conscious choice. Maybe it really cost him to do so. Maybe it happened under the fig tree. I don't know. So maybe this is why when Jesus calls him a man of real integrity, his first response is, how do you know me? Jesus had just seen him. With one sentence, Jesus had been able to see right past the outer Nathaniel and show him that he saw what was in his heart. And then he follows it up with, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. This, this kind of seeing, this, I don't think this is the physical kind. I, I think it goes beyond that to what I've been talking about before, this need to feel seen. There's some social psychologists that wrote that feeling noticed is the most elementary form of mattering. And Jesus had just shown Nathaniel that he'd noticed him, that he saw his value and that he mattered. And actually Jesus has a habit of doing that during his time on earth, doesn't he? Um, when he calls Matthew, Matthew's a tax collector um, for the Romans. And so just about everybody hates Matthew. But Jesus sees through that he truly sees Matthew and he calls him to follow him. And one of the other stories that God brought to my attention when he was speaking to me about this was the widow with her two mites. Yeah? Um, if we look in Luke 21, verses 1 to 4, 
It says, and he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance are putting offerings to God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. Jesus saw beyond her outer appearance to the fact that she was truly sacrificing for God. Her heart was such that she was willing to give everything that she had to God. Her very last bit of money despite being poor. To the others on the outside, she wasn't giving a lot, was she? She looked, you know, didn't look like a lot at all. Didn't look very remarkable. But to the God who truly sees us, he saw that she was giving everything to her. He saw her. But there was something that struck me about that passage, and it's the fact that as far as we can tell, the widow didn't know that Jesus had seen her. When Jesus said what he did, it was to his disciples, not to the widow. So he might, she might never have found out, never have known beyond her own faith that God saw her. We can't tell. And then I got back to thinking about Nathaniel again, and the the fact that Jesus saw him under the fig tree, that would have been true whether Jesus had told him or not. Nathaniel could have gone for the rest of his life not realising that Jesus had seen him in that moment. If Jesus hadn't told him. So why did he tell him? I think there's a couple of reasons. Firstly, I think Jesus knew Nathaniel needed to hear this. Um, maybe like me, he'd been struggling with feeling unseen feeling invisible, um, like he wasn't really noticed by anyone. Maybe he'd been acting with integrity about someone, something, sorry, and um, no one was able to see it. Maybe it was bothering him. I, I don't know, but we do believe that, uh, sorry, I do believe that Jesus knew Nathaniel needed that particular bit of encouragement. And secondly, this is what I think we need to pay attention for ourselves. Nathaniel was going to Jesus. When Nathaniel questions whether anything good can really come out of Nazareth, Philip gives him this challenge. He says, come and see. Come and see. Come to Jesus for yourself and encounter him. Because that is how we get what we're needing. We have to come to Jesus and see him for ourselves. Philip had already told Nathaniel he was the Messiah. He told him. But Nathaniel had to come and see for himself, for him to truly impact him, for him to have that revelation. And his encounter impacted him so much because his response was, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. All of us need to feel seen. We need to feel like we're noticed for who we truly are and that we're valued. I've tried to Google it, and it says pretty much everywhere that this is a fundamental human need. If you want to be a better leader, you can try and train yourself to make people feel more seen because that has a positive impact on people and then that will be beneficial in whatever it is you're leading. Um, you know, I spent ages working, so it's struggling with the fact that I was working in this unseen way. I'm still enjoying it, but I felt really unseen 
And when someone did make me feel a little bit seen, it was like switching a light on to show me how I'd been feeling all that time. But as I said before, I instinctively recognised in those encounters that while it's great to feel seen by other people, we can't go to those people to try and meet that need inside us. Yeah? We all have this need to feel seen, I think, and it's, it's possible for others to make us feel more seen, and that, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that, but we're not meant to try and use people as our source to get this need. Because people cannot and will not reliably meet this need for us. They will fail at some point. Um, even if they might want to, they're not, you know, it's not healthy and they're not going to manage it. Um, we need our primary source to be God. You know, I think it's great for us to be more proactive in trying to see each other. Um, to try and take a step back and say, do you know what? Cheryl's had this and this going on this week. It must have been really hard for her, actually. And she might have felt really alone in that. And I wonder if there's anything I can do to encourage her. You know? Now that, that's great. That will encourage Cheryl. But how much more valuable would it be if Cheryl goes to God and he says to her, do you know what? When you were exhausted on that morning and you really didn't want to get up and it was a real effort for you to go and meet that person and try and bless them, but you did it anyway, I saw you. I saw what you did there. How much more impactful is that? So since I've been trying to, you know, chew this over with God and trying to let him speak to me through his word, um, I've been trying to make this conscious effort, conscious effort to turn to him and ask him to meet that need within me. And, and he has been. It's been, you know, it's been great. Um, he's been teaching me about how he sees things beyond what other people can see. There's some things that I do, there's some things that we all do that only God will ever see. You know, he saw what it did to my heart when I was asked not to eat my lunch in the staff room. The person I was talking with, they saw the outer appearance that I put on in that moment. But God saw behind it. He saw the real me. He sees the real us in these different moments. Um, he sees the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, we can't pretend to be able to hide anything from him. Um, and I was very aware in bringing this, that obviously I'm trying to bring this with this real positive, God sees the good in us, but some people might be sitting thinking, actually there's stuff I'd really rather God did not see. Um, we, actually, we can't pretend to be able to hide it from him, I and mean, it's really, you know, really foolish, isn't it? Um, but maybe we don't want to come to Jesus because we know that he sees these things that we're trying to hide. So then I thought about the woman at the well. You know, Jesus saw her, didn't he? He said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. But you've had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. Like, he saw the thing that made her so ashamed that she was having to draw her water from the well during the times of day when no one else was likely to be around, yeah? She, most people didn't go to the well at that time of the day. She was doing that because she was a bit of an outcast. People knew what was in her backstory. Um, but did she come away from that feeling condemned? She didn't, did she? She went through the streets going, come and see this man that told me everything I ever did. Um, and why, why was that? 
I think it's because actually what Jesus did in his response to that, yes, he saw, he saw the things she was ashamed of, but what did he do next? He revealed himself to her. He told her that he was the Messiah. And actually, she was the very first person that we know of that he said that to on earth. He saw her, he saw that she was a sinner, he saw that she was in a, a mess, I was going to say a bit of a mess, but actually quite a mess. And what's his response? To tell her, I'm here to be your saviour. So as well as all these good things, God will see the things you might want to hide, but his response is still the same, I'm here to be your saviour. And when it comes to the good things that we do, the fact that God sees us means that nothing good that we ever do is actually wasted with him. Nothing ever truly goes unnoticed. The times where you've strived to do the right thing, even though no one will ever know, he saw you. The times where your heart was broken, when you were at your lowest and you felt things that you could probably never put into words, he saw you. David knew this truth really well, didn't he? He wrote about it in Psalm 139 for us. He said, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say before I even say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. If we jump down um, a couple of verses, it says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be outnumbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Isn't that, it's just such a wonderful picture of how well God knows us. David frequently took his heart before God, poured out in his presence, allowed him to minister to his inner needs. You know, how many times in David's life was the sheep? Why would you have the potential to be king? You know, his own family didn't truly see David. But then along comes God via Samuel and says, I see you, I see what's in you. And then all this time later, when David has let God show him over and over again that he sees him, he's able to write in this psalm what it's like to be truly known by God. Verse 3 in the New King James says, You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. God is acquainted with all your ways, all of my ways. He truly sees us and what's more he wants to show us that he sees us 